Uh, thank you so much uh, for allowing me to come. Uh, if we could dim those maybe a little and then maybe raise it a little light so I could see my sisters. That could be helpful. Um, one of the things that I, I, I want to say, th- who I want to say thank you to is Dawn, who's not here. Lauren, who's right there. Randy, who's right there. Uh, people, women that I've met through Lifeline, thank you. Um, definitely want to say thank you to Brian and Edie. I don't know if Edie's here. Uh, but uh, through Lifeline to Hope and having a ministry kind of uh, engagement here, I feel like I'm home. So it's not like I'm here as a stranger. I've been here over a month and I see familiar faces and uh, that makes me feel so special. So I'm going to uh, begin by prayer and, um, and then I'll just take the rest of the time to share some story. Lord, thank you so much for these ladies, young and old. Increase in them what they have received from you from last night till today. Like exponentially, Lord, like supernaturally. Thank you that we're back together. We're here with you and you're here with us and I feel you. So as I share, I always ask that you share what pieces of my life that gives you the most glory in the story. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, who, who knows the definition of, well, let me start with this. Uh, how many people would guess I'm not from Texas? <laughs> how many people would guess the state that I'm from? The pe- some people know, some ladies know. Go ahead, yell it out. Northeast somewhere. Northeast somewhere. Is that a state? I mean, I know Texas is like, like a huge thing, but New York, no, Rhode Island. I always ask how many Rhode Islands fit in this large state of Texas? A lot. How many? A hundred. No, higher. 500 lower. 215, 221. Rhode Islands fit in Texas. How many women, if you Google it, no, I don't know why you, is it Kelly, right? No, I don't know why Kelly laughed. I just met her the other day. Um, how, many, how many women, if you Google it, how many women like are in the Bible? Like really, not doubled up. Like you can't use their name twice, but how many women, I would think you'd know. 209, what? No. Nope. 221. Wouldn't that be awesome? No. <laughs> Not that. Uh, 137. Now, now, that's just, you know, there's, I had my wife do that too. And by the way, honey, can you come here? We're going we're gonna to share together. And she says, no. Just come here. This is my beautiful, amazing wife. Yeah, yeah. The only reason, really, really one of the only reasons I'm alive. All right, you ready? Who's, who's the sister with the hat, the cowboy hat? Amy. Amy. Wow, that was fun. 
I thought, how am I going to, you know, you hear speakers, you're like, how am I going to follow that? I got to have energy. I got to be jumping. All right. Memorial, the definition of memorial. But actually, remember, right? That's my word. Remember. But in that scripture, it was a memorial. How many stones? Twelve. Kind of the, Joshua was instructed to collect some stones, get through, build a monument or a memorial. Here's a little thing. In the days of Joshua, these memorial stones were to serve as a reminder to future generations of Israel, Israel's faith in God and God's faith in them. Let me say that again. It was a reminder to future generations of Israel's faith in God and God's faithfulness to them. The purpose of a memorial or to remember is to preserve a memory, not to just look back. This is what I love right here. Not just to look back, but so future generations can find their way forward. Mm. So when I think of, you think of memorial, you think of remember. Remember, by the way, like if you think of recollect or reminisce, no. Remember means like you can remember like it was yesterday. Like yesterday. And I'm gonna tell you a story that I can't ever forget because it's like it was yesterday. That's the best part. Okay. I told my wife I was gonna try this on the drive here and I've never really tried it. I'm gonna give you like a, uh, we're gonna flash back, but we're gonna start, I'm gonna tell you in 1994 at my father's funeral in the month of December, I shared something. And afterwards, my aunt, my only living aunt, came up to me and said, Donald, do you want to know where 143 came from? And I said, yeah. Pause. Back to my childhood. So when I was growing up, I grew up in Rhode Island. My mother and father had my brother... And I think I was told, I have bits and pieces. Do you have bits and pieces of your history? Isn't God the one that brings it all back into, like connects all the dots? This is a connect the dots story. Let's follow the dots then. So I was, I was born second and my brother was born first. Everything was pretty good. I was told till I came. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> right? So, so, and then, but as a child, as a young little guy, I don't remember really having anything happen that would like kind of make me aware of that though. Until I got a little older and my father who had left, left when my, I have, there were four of us, David, Donald, Diane, and Linda. When my mother was pregnant with Linda, my father left, was having an affair with another woman. Obvious, well, so. (laughs) Careful. With a woman, and she found out through a friend and said, did you know? And my mother found out, and it it was tough, right? I mean, unimaginably tough. And so then, um, he left for another family, started another family. And then I started to get older, a little, I'm maybe five, six, seven, eight. 
By the time I'm eight, I'm going to tell fast version stories. But by the time I'm eight years old, my dad's gone. We see him on the weekends sometimes. And then he, he, he had a lake house at one point. And I remember running back and forth. This is important. I remember running back and forth, getting his beers from the fridge at this all my, all my childhood. Another one, Budweiser, Budweiser, Budweiser. At that, by that time, I also discovered that I was, become, I was a little bit like my dad and that infuriated my mother. And, uh, it's like she saw red, I think. And then as I was occasionally, when I'd come back from those weekends, you know, what I discovered is that I wasn't loved. You, you, you just start to see she loves my sisters differently and my brother differently. What's up with me? And so a little bit faster forward, but I'm, I'm, so I'm in this part of life and then I started to drink his beers. So I would take them and sip them as I'm running. And I, I, I can tell you from, from those sips, I totally understood what it was like to be numb and loved it. At age nine, I had my first beer in a rowboat in the middle of a lake. <laughs> and I felt so numb. What a trap. That was, that was but I, never, I just kept wanting to be numb. It's like, yeah, the pain's gone. Where's the pain go? So alcohol started then. Marijuana started by the age of 11, 12, middle school, other stuff. Now I'd go home and my mom smelling beer on my breath and things really went, went south. Like, I mean, so abuse, all kinds, the gamut. I know, that's what I felt like. <laughs> I did, it was like an alarm went off. Um, and kind of an alarm did go off. And so I'm going to speed up a little because I look at the time. And I want to get to the good part, the God part. So by the time I'm a teenager, my mom had set up uh, a situation with the state that her her intention was to lock me away. So she, sent, she set up this thing with a psychologist. I went to him. Didn't, I had no idea what was going to happen. And, and he, he put me in his room and I started talking to him. And I could, wouldn't stop talking to him. And he stopped me in the middle of the session and he said, Can, would you hold on for a second? He went outside. And he came back in the room a few minutes later and said there were two state police standing there waiting for you but I dismissed them because you're not who I thought you were. Do you want to do this? And I said, yeah, I want to talk. And he would listen. And every week my mother had to take me. <laughs> she wasn't happy about that. Like get me out of school, take me to the psycho psychologist and then bring me back to school. And it was at that point, you know, afterwards, he told me, he warned me, he said, Don, 
It lasted for a few, probably about three quarters of a year. And he said to me, Don, I'm going to warn you. I'm going to tell you this has been awesome. That our time is up. And he said, but you, here's one thing to be aware of is your fury is going to get loose. Be careful. And he knew I was self-destructing. It was helpful at that moment. But he also warned me about what was to come. Now, Sandra, who sits over there, knows what's to come. I met her at 14. And she, uh, I don't, I still don't know why <laughs> that she's still the love of my life. But she, she got pregnant at 17, had our first daughter at 18. That's when it was taboo. I mean, like it was like she was kicked out of her house, kind of, sort of. Her dad took her in. There was divorce there. There's divorce and divorce. And then, you know, a little bit of shuffling. And then she's an amazing woman, the most amazing person I've ever met in my life. I don't say that because I'm at a women's retreat. (laughs) (laughs) Got to make it out. Got to call my wife the best thing. No, I got, I'm telling you, she's the best person I've ever met in my life. We've had seven children. Six grandchildren, I got to get that in there. Amazing, right? So at this point, I'm self-destructing, still doing drugs, still doing everything. Now Sandra's pregnant. I am like beyond myself afraid. She is too. We're not doing well either. We have a, we, she gets pregnant again. We get married. Whew. One of the things that I remember about my childhood is um, my mother eventually started to tell me she never loved me from birth. Like over and over and over and over again. Whether I was hiding under the bed for what was coming after me or the closet or wherever it was, I've never loved you from birth. There was a, even at the psychologist who did a, the group thing, I said, please don't do the group thing. Please don't do the group thing. My, my siblings are afraid of my mother. So is my stepfather. And she came in and said that in front of him. He, he said, Donald, I'm so sorry. Cleared the room. And in a circle of metal chairs, I sat for a while till he came back in and almost in tears saying, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. I said, I thought it was coming. My dad could never say he loved us. I don't know if you've had that experience, right? You were your parents. Interesting, we were talking the other night at Lifeline and some of us have, have hadn't had, had touch or love, words of love or, or embraces or hugs. If you haven't, don't raise your hand. It's already up and the Lord knows it. But that was my experience. But it was funny because my dad would give cards and he'd be like, 143. What was the title of my message? Got 143. Suspense. 143. Does anybody know what that means? Like, does anybody know what 143 means in culture sometimes? What does it mean? I love you. One letter, four letters, three letters. One letter, four letters, three letters. I 
love you. <clears throat> so I was like, and I had to ask him because, at, at, you know, back then I was like, well, what does that mean? And he said, well, it means I love you. I said, oh. He never said it though. He only wrote it in cards. Fast forward. It's 206. It's coming. I'm standing on a sidewalk. I'm 21 in the middle of the night, suicidal. I had, I had lived a pretty wild life, self-destructing. I know, I know Debbie Stewart's here and gone, but I know that she had a son, a prodigal. I, should have, I guess I should have been in jail at some level. But I, I was definitely uh, self-destructing everywhere. And after Sandra and I got married or, and we had two children, I, walking back and forth from a restaurant that I was a dishwasher and then I became this and that, worked my way through high school, graduated in Jesus' name. Graduated from high school, though I shouldn't have. I mean, in the sense that every, all the odds were against it. And then, you know, I was, so I'm walking back and forth and, and I was, I was, uh, yeah, I was contemplating that she, this beautiful, amazing person, would have been way better off without me. Like, I should, I should kill myself and just get it over with. My son and my daughter, I had started to become the guy who the psychologist said, I was so violent inside, it, there was abuse. She's there. She has forgiven me. Fear uh, was, anybody around me was long enough new to be afraid. I was unpredictable and violent and on drugs. So I, I started to recognize after I was a father, I was like, there's gotta, be, there's, gotta, there's gotta be a reason for this. What's the reason? I can't figure it out. I'm no good. I'm no good for them. And I started to really think about killing myself and how I should have died, Sandra knows, I won't go into these stories, but I should have died at least probably two or three times by then. Just in car wrecks and all kinds of things. Drowning, but didn't. And so, walking home one night, I walked, same sidewalk, back and forth. Felt at one night, midnight, closed up the restaurant. I couldn't move. I felt like it was like there was something keeping me from taking another step, but not against my will. I think that's important, not only in theology, but also in my story. It wasn't like something was saying, you can't move, but something was compelling me to turn and look inside a window. And inside the window was a giant print Bible. Open to the book of John. I stood there, I read it. I'd never read a Bible. It was like, what in the world? Police that knew me, rested me, pulled up. There's the scene, I love it. He pulls up, he says, Don, you need to go, small town, East Greenwich, Rhode Island, you need to go. I said, I can't move, I'm reading the Bible. <laughs> he says, no, and I go, I'm not, I can't move. I'm reading the Bible, it's right there. I just can't, I, I, I read, I, so 
He rolls up his window, not electric. That tells you something. <laughs> so, so I read the Bible. Two pages. I can move. I go home. Uh, scratching my head. Next day, go to work. Come back. Can't move. Can't go beyond it. Don't feel like I can. Turn. Pages are turned. I know, right? Pages are turned. I read two more pages. I go home. A month and a half. A month and a half. If they cut my mic for a second, will you cut my mic? Is it cut yet? I don't want to hurt anybody. I think that was wise, right? Yes. I've done it when I haven't cut the mic. <laughs> I lose everybody right there. <laughs> Jerk. Not nice. So, he saves me. The only thing I can say that really isn't the best about Sandra, which I'm going to say it, it's, it's not as pretty as, as a bouquet. I, I didn't tell anybody what was happening during that month and a half. And she's like, I, when I cry out, save me, I got saved. I said no to drugs. I said no to my brother. I never said no. I'm saying no. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> And I can say no. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, she looks at me and says, what happened to you? And I said, I was reading the Bible on the sidewalk and on the way home. And I asked the Lord to save me because I read it in the Bible and I've been changed. She said, it'll wear off. I've had, all, I had attempted doing this and that on my own strength. Listen, I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. It's like the, the, the demons that come back with seven. It's like, ah, every time you try on your own, you quit, you can't, you quit, you can't, you go deeper and deeper into the quicksand and you might as well suffocate and die. That was Don. So I, now I'm saying no. And she's saying, and a month and a half later, she comes to me and says, I want what you have. I want what you have. I said, I don't know much. I don't know much. Here's what I prayed. She prayed it. You wouldn't have needed to turn down her mic. She's more, she's more civilized. She got saved. In Jesus' name. I know. that You're not clapping for me. Because if you think you're clapping for me, you're clapping for the wrong person. It's that guy. It's this one. It's the one. Right? It's not. I, I don't even know how I tell the rest of the story in a minute. But. I'll try. So seven kids. A family, a portrait that I would love to have gotten here and shown you. You would have been, you would have been like, no. Yes. We started, we, we started taking the kids up 
to Rhode Island. We moved to Virginia. Both of us got saved. We moved to Lynchburg, Virginia. Someone told me that mentored me a little through the book of John, said, Don, you got to get, get out of Rhode Island. And, and, and I think you just got to go. It's too dark. So we packed up everything as little kids with little kids and drove to Lynchburg, Virginia. Amazing story. I can't tell you about it though. But we're there near fatal car, pretty bad car accident three months after. I was like, Lord, that's awesome. We're now down here with nothing, with nobody, and I'm in traction. Guy came to me with a book. You'll understand, it was a professor. He said, I'm just going to share this because this is one of these little funny things. He came. I didn't even know the guy. He's in my in the hospital bedroom, and he said, I heard about your accident. I, I, we've been praying for you. Uh, here's a book by Tim Keller. It's called The 23rd Psalm. I had never read a book by then anyway. I didn't read too much in high school. So I read it, and I got to the part I think he was referring to. Sometimes the Lord takes a little lamb. When they're used to wandering, he breaks their little leg and puts them around his beautiful neck so when the leg heals, they don't leave his side. I love that, unless it's your leg. (laughs) Raise your hand if God's ever broken your leg and said you're going to be with me for a while and you're going to hang out. It hurts, but it'll get better. We're in Virginia. We're going back and forth, trying to get our kids to know our grandparents, the ones that are still around. And one summer, we go back, and you know what my kids, they're a little older, you know what they want to do? First thing, they wanted me to, Sandra doesn't remember this, and I was really hurt and heartbroken one time. Husbands get like that. (laughs) She didn't remember where I kissed her the first time under a street light. She didn't. Like, what's up with that? But I, the kid, I'd always, we'd go, because we grew up in the same town. How many of you grew up with your, uh, the spouse in the same town? A fewer hands, like maybe, maybe half a dozen, maybe 10. Not as many as meet somewhere else. But Sandra and I have known each other, took the kids around where I lived, where I got this or that, where she and I, and we kissed. And then they want to go to the other place. Where do you think they, where else do they want to go? Yeah, go take us by the sidewalk where you read the Bible, Dad. Take us by the sidewalk where you read the Bible, Dad. Every time we go back up to Rhode Island, we make the trek. Take us by where you, and we just drive by. The time we drive by, you have to understand, God is mysterious, and he works in mysterious ways. If you're here, and I want to encourage you, that there's a dot coming that you can't see, even though my eyes can't see. I trust the voice. That's the song we just sang. Even though my eyes can't see. I trust the voice that's leading me. We drive down the street. They've done some renovation in the town. There was never an address over the doorway next to the window that I read a Bible. Come on, ladies, what do you think that address was? Show the picture. 
This is Muncie. I work with her at Hope for the Heart. She was up there a week ago. She heard the story. She went, she was in a beautiful parts of the state, Newport, the mansions. She and her husband said, we got to go find it. She sent me a picture. This is the window. This is the first time I've ever had this. Because if you look, see the three is kind of missing. It's like the bottom of it. They had it painted the same color as that for years. That, it was this way when I saw it the first time. I pulled over our van. I started bawling. My whole life made sense in one split second when I looked out the window and saw 143 and the Bible was gone, but the stories moves on. Yes? Like, come on. I mean, like, it's not my story. It's not my story. You, you can't make up this story. The odds of where they put the post office or the courthouse that that house right there and a woman would put a Bible and turn the page every night until I came to know Jesus. If there were more than one, if there were more than one, but I don't think so. I think he meant it for me. And he knew I couldn't read too well, so it was a giant print Bible. <laughs> so it's maroon. The first time I saw it, it was that. Then it got painted maroon, and you couldn't see it from the road. When she went back a week ago, they had scraped it for us on this picture. You would have been like, it doesn't say 143 up there. I would have been like, no, make it bigger. No, technology, it really does. He's not an idiot. But it does, look at it, it's golden. I know, right? There's more to the story. June and I are ready to start talking to people. You know, June's been on the radio for 26 years celebrating the 35th anniversary. I get the privilege of working with this beautiful 76-year-old warrior. We're going to start asking Hope of the Night people to call back to tell us the rest of the story. God wants to tell the story so he gets the glory, but it also just teaches us things, doesn't it? I'm almost done. My time's already up. Lauren gave me this. I cried. Jesus, thank you. Holy Spirit, I prayed you share what you wanted to share. So I'm going to share what you've already shared. Thank you for a couple more minutes, Randy. Lauren, you know this verse. You know this verse. This verse is something you've read. But here's a question for you ladies to write down. Has it read you? When you read God's word, do you ask him to read you too? You might add that to your devotional time. It's pretty fun. If you like broken legs. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Who knows it? Raise your hand. You already know where I'm going. Yeah. There's only one spiritual woman in the room. She, one woman knew the scripture? Kidding. Two? Oh, no. It was Poise Lady.
I will add this to my 143 story forever. I remember one time I shared it. Blessed be to, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort for, with which we have ourselves received by God. Don't you see this is church? I'm just telling you, this is church. This is church. In and through you, in then through you. In and through you, okay, maybe. In then through you, definitely. First you, then others. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, us with others. That's the definition of church if you need one, right? Aren't you here to minister to one another and be ministered to by the only and the Holy One? And the Holy Spirit, so that you can, it's so that he hollows you out and flows more freely. I'm praying now. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, let me do one more thing. It's God's word. It's not Don's story. The message, Joshua 4, 8, 19, 20. The people came out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. They set up camp at Gilgal, the circle. At the east of Jericho, Joshua erected a monument at the Gilgal using the 12 stones that they had taken from the Jordan. And then he told the people of Israel in the days to come when your children ask their fathers, what are these stones? Why are they, what are they doing here? Tell your children that this, that Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry ground. I'm telling you, if you're waiting for dry ground, it's coming. If you heard my story, unimmeasurable, mysterious moments are coming. You can't orchestrate it. Don't try to control it. If you're perfectionist in Jesus' name, get rid of it. Just go, please heal me of that. Because being available to God is the way to walk in freedom and live life to the fullest. Psalm, and I, I end with this almost choking up. Psalm 34, four through six. This is my confession, my prayer, I'll add it. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Lord, I can't, I can't make a better story. Thank you for the extra couple minutes. May the Lord bless you, keep you, let his face shine upon you. But you know what? You're already radiant, my sisters. And there's a woman who just became radiant. Who is she? Lauren told me about someone. Wherever you are, whether you're in this room or not, someone recently said yes to the 143 story. Amen. Jessica, is that what you said? Lord, we just thank you for Jessica because she's a glow. I love you. Let's all do one, four. And you're not doing this to me because you don't love me. One, four, three. In Jesus' name, amen.